Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal making, value creation, and exits across private equity, credit, and venture capital. In this third episode, Antoine Delaporte, Managing Director at Adenia Partners, Lauren Deme, Co-Founder and Managing Partner at Amethyst, Matthew Hunt, Principal at Southwest Capital, Eric Idiahi, Co-Founder and Partner at Verot Capital Management, and Angela Millemay, Chief Investment Officer at Chicago Teachers Pension Fund, make the case for investing in private equity in Africa despite the perception of risk and uncertainty. This Why Africa Why Now session, recorded at the 16th Annual AFCA Conference in Nairobi in April 2019, is moderated by Jennifer Ambaluto, partner at Clifford Champs. The panelists we have here with us today, we've got two LPs, one US um, LP and one Pan-African LP, and we've got two African GPs, so we'll get some really interesting perspectives. And so I'd like to introduce Angela Melemay, who is the Chief Investment um, Officer at the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund. Uh, Matthew Hunt, um, who is the Principal at South Suez Capital. Um, Laurent Denay, Managing Partner at Amethyst. Um, Eric Ediahi, Partner and Co-Founder of Adenia Partners. And at the very end... Um, um, oh, sorry? Uh, Verod. Capital. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, and... Um, Antoine Delapour, uh, managing partner at Adenia, um, at Adenia Partners. And so I'll start with you, um, Angela. Um, we've just heard from Ms. Um, Donna uh, Sims-Wilson about the fact that the, a lot of US investors are now seeing the African market as a market where you can get safe, risk-adjusted returns. Um, now, you've recently invested in um, two African GPs. What is your approach towards capital allocation? How do you approach the African market vis-a-vis -vis other emerging markets? And what particular um, uh, questions are you asking investors in this market vis-a-vis -vis other markets that you invest in? Okay, good, good morning. Good, good afternoon. <laughs> so I, I guess I'll start with um, what has driven investors like Chicago teachers um, to look outside of our own backyard and to look for increased diversification and look for opportunity sets that will give us potential growth and increased returns. Um, just as a backdrop, Chicago Teachers is an underfunded uh, pension plan. Um, we're about 49% funded. We have an actuarial rate of 7%. And given our capital market assumptions, it's going to be really challenging for us to meet that 7%. So the U.S., um, as Donna said, has experienced um, low growth over the last 10 years. Um, we have, you know, been in this environment for some time, and it is a challenging environment that we can't control. We don't know when this cycle is going to end or what's going to end the cycle. Um, but what we can control is our strategic asset allocation policy, uh, we can control our, our manager selection. So what we did was we turned to our top performing asset class, which is private equity. Um, and we are, we've traditionally 
done private equity through fund of funds. Um, but now we're shifting a little bit to do more direct partnerships um, to get more direct exposure to emerging markets um, and, and to Africa. So that is one of the things that has kind of you know, driven us to look at Africa. Um, the other, the other uh, aspect of it is, is really the growth of Africa, um, the demographics, the urbanization, the domestic-led growth. Um, I think one of the panels before said it simply that um, the growth is here in Africa. Um, and as we continue to try to diversify our portfolio and try to you know, not take unintended bets on asset classes, or geographies or different sectors, um, we look across, uh, we're, we're global investors. So we, we look beyond the United States. Um, and that, that is one reason um, that we've gone into Africa. So when we look at our allocation and we look at you know, why Africa as opposed to you know, private equity just in the US, um, we're looking at Africa as, you know, being the same as the United States. A private equity manager is a private equity manager no matter where. We're asking the same questions around deal sourcing, um, successful exits, um, just team, uh, team tenure, team death, um, ethics, best practices, um, track records. These are some of the same questions that we ask of any private equity manager that's in the US. What we add to that due diligence, because it is emerging markets, because it is Africa, is the macroeconomic stability, the political stability, um, the social factors. I think this is something unique to emerging markets and unique to Africa that we question our managers and question our GPs on. Um, and I, I think, you know, with the two managers that we chose, um, and it, there was a, a really, you know, we, we got 22 respondents, and many of them were very qualified managers. Um, if you put them up against any U.S. firm um, or any Africa firm, but I think we chose the best to go into Africa to be our first investment into Africa. So that, I think that's the path that we've taken. That's, um, that, that, that's very interesting to hear. And, and Matthew, I mean, you've been in the continent for a long time and you've sort of seen the evolution of the African GP as the market has evolved. What, what, what's your approach? Is that changing? Has that changed in recent times um, in light of the environment that we've witnessed? Yeah, so we've been going 10 years now, so 10th anniversary. Um, and, you know, the number one risk, as you guys all know, is foreign exchange risk. So, uh, given that our, our mandate is purely Pan-Africa, we spend a lot of time looking at, firstly, what are the benchmarks for the, the correct weightings across different regions, and we, we tend to look at industry data for that, private equity data and deal flow, and then we decide whether we want to be kind of overweight or underweight a region. But this is all assuming that we can find a good GP or good deal flow. So. As we move through from Fund 1 to Fund 2, and we had a lot of FX depreciation issues, we overweighted the Maghreb region through a manager, we overweighted Egypt through post-evaluation through a manager and some co-investment. And I think 
you know, our overall mandate, our investor base is really predominantly Southern African institutional money. They've never been in Africa before. <coughs> the value proposition was to build a diversified pool, and that's something that we focus a lot on. We also, you know, in addition to sort of vintage and sector and so forth, we look quite hard at whether the mid-cap space or the large-cap space is appropriate, and that's often geographically dependent, we view in our view. Um, and we've also been switching more actually towards effective control or control positions rather than minority because we found, again, this big challenge, we may talk about it later, about the liquidity and exit environment. We, you know, if we look at the, the, the deals that are difficult to exit, they typically minority positions with founding partnerships, founding local partners. And then something we've, we've uh, really thought hard about recently is an overcommitment strategy because one of the challenges we have in Africa versus maybe some of the more developed markets is that the African managers do not fully commit the fund. Um, and that's a variety of reasons. It might be in the LPA because of recycling provisions aren't quite uh, uh, loose enough for them to recycle or, or follow-ons aren't followed on. And so typically what we do at the end of our investment period is we, we try and calculate how much do we need to overcommit to make sure that 100% of our investors' money is committed. And that's quite, a, quite, a, quite an exercise and, it, you know, where we are, we're somewhere between 110 and 120% overcommitment on our fund commitments, which is actually quite a lot. But that's kind of reflective of the African market and this issue, which is being addressed through the LPAs now, but it's the issue of the ability to recycle and to commit capital. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come on to the sort of strategies in terms of co-investment in the sec secondaries a bit later on. But just um, sticking to this theme around the sentiment um, from the LPs, Laurent, you have a wide sort of pool of investors, and majority of which are not intimately <coughs> familiar with this market. Um, do you feel that you still need to give the basic education about the African environment? What sort of education are you being asked to give the LPs, and, 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 and how are you responding to that? Oh, yes, the, definitely. Uh, we, have, um, we have raised uh, more than 250 million euros of private sector money in our first fund and the same amount in our second fund, uh, where we are, <coughs> uh, which last close is uh, due for May and we should end at around 350, uh, 100 of DFIs and 250 of private sector money, which means more than 100 investors uh, coming from large institutions to, to, to family offices. And most of those uh, are not heavily invested in, in, in Africa, or at least not, they are not dedicating a significant pool of their money to, uh, to, to Africa. And basically what we had to do is first to explain that, uh, and I liked what you just said, Africa is just another market. Uh, private equity in Africa is private equity, a company is a company, and we are basically doing the same job as most of the private equity GPs. Uh, around the world, uh, they all have their own their lo local issues to manage, and uh, we have our own. But it's basically the same, uh, <coughs> uh, the same business. This is the main thing to to say, and the rest of it is that what we are selling to to, to investors is a diversification. At the end of the day, they are all heavily invested in private equity. They have their own allocation to Europe, to the U.S., uh, to buyout funds, to to property. And what we offer, what, what Africa can offer to them is not a huge additional return to what you can take on a, in a more leveraged environments in Europe or the US, but a diversification to their portfolio. It's an unleveraged, uncorrelated to the, to the macros of the EU or, or the US markets, so it's a good way to manage a people portfolio. This is what we have been selling. 
and, and typically uh, it's what those uh, investors are, are investing into. They, are, they know that foreign currency risk is, is there, but I would say it's the same for all emerging markets. There's no big difference. And it can be also managed by internal diversification within the continent. Indeed, and I think Matthew, we spoke earlier about how GPs report on returns and, you know, and the, the, the tendency to focus on, on, on the U.S., um, you know, reporting in U.S. currency. Do you want, do you want to touch a bit about that? Yeah, no, we're, look, we're roadshowing now, and uh, one of the things some of the uh, U.S. investors have asked is actually, could you disaggregate your local returns from your dollar returns because ultimately they want to make the decision around FX, right? And if they, if they think uh, Nigeria over the next five years is not going to have so much of a, you know, FX devaluation as it had over the last five years, they want to see the local returns. And if the local returns stack up, then they know the operational performance was there. And, and the reason why the underwritten base case in dollars wasn't achieved was, was purely from an FX point of view. And that's a decision they can take not the GP take. So we've done quite a lot of work around that, and the, and the numbers actually are, you know, look very different, obviously, yeah. to a, a dollar return. But uh, look, at the end of the day, it's, it's dollars uh, and net IRR that counts, but it at least gives them something to think about. Sure, and uh, maybe that's a good uh, place for you, Eric, to come in. And you know, you're a West Africa focused fund, and you know, you probably know a lot more about currency devaluation than most in the room. Can you touch a bit about sort of some of the strategies that your firm has been employing to mitigate some of these macro risks, and and, and how you're really um, implementing those to deliver deliver returns? So, so the last uh, three four years in Nigeria, which my firm is based, has been brutal. I think currency has depreciated by about over 100% in the last three years. Uh, that, that, of course, has affected returns overall. But the government has been very proactive in coming up with different hedging strategies where you can actually hedge investments, uh, with the counterparty being the Central Bank of Nigeria. So as a firm, in the last uh, two and a half years, every investment we've made has actually been hedged against uh, a currency risk. But also, uh, that's, I think it's been a blessing for us because now we're looking at investments we think about uh, investing in companies that are actually resilient in terms of uh, currency, uh, currency devaluation. We think if we invest in this company and there's a devaluation, can this, can this company in terms of the revenues or, or, or catch up uh, and can consumers actually still afford these products? So it's changed our thinking a bit in, in just companies we approach, but, but also been very proactive with a lot of strategies in which we used to hedge uh, investments. And we also look for things that can generate a lot of cash flow sooner than later. later. So we, we, try to, we tend to invest in businesses where we can pull out cash and get back the dollars before, sooner than, than, than later. So it helps, of course, uh, whatever uh, risk involved with, with the currency. Yeah, sure. And, um, and I guess going to a point Matthew made earlier about it's also about the value creation that then drives that op op operational return. Can you, can you talk a bit about, you know, what your firm's approach is, you know, in terms of, you know, do you take minority stakes? Are you looking more towards taking controlling stakes in order to have a more active role in, um, in, 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 in driving those, um, those returns? So, uh a big part of our thesis, as Vera, is, is how much value we can create. It's been, been very operational, hands-on. And before we go into any firm, uh, the most critical thing for us is how we think about how we, are we going to exit this business. So that determines what stake we usually take. So for us, it doesn't matter. It can be minority or majority. But as long as we have a clear path to an exit in working with the in people we invest with, that really what, that's what drives it. Um, recently, uh, we've actually done two exits in the last one week. I just concluded two exits in the last one week. 
and a lot of that actually, one of it was a majority, the other, the two of them actually were majorities. It was slightly easier to do, of course, but one of them was actually a dividend recap to the management, which is a different strategy. So it, it depends, it's not, a, it's not a set rule, but it's really driven by um, what, what we want, the end result should be. Uh, in terms of value creation, um, like, like Matthew said earlier, in one of our exits, for example, we created a, a narrow returns were about four, four times, uh, or 4.5 times, and dollar returns was about two times. And the reason that was, we invested right before the devaluation, and that created a bit of a problem. But we went into the company, and being very hands-on and operational in terms of our model, we were very active in, in building the business. So a lot of our time at, at the firm is not really spent going out there and looking for investments, but going out there and working with our portfolio companies to help expand them, get more business to our portfolio companies, and support them in everything they need. Thank you. And, and, and Antoine, I'd be keen to hear what strategies you're adopting as a GP. And I know you have a focus on a sort of the, you know, the buyouts. Um, and it'd be interesting to hear how that contrasts with, uh, with what Eric has, uh, has, has told us. Uh, yes, hello everyone. Uh, at Adenia, it is true that we like uh, to control the businesses in which we invest. Uh, we do that for a very simple reason. Uh, we all share the view that days are gone when uh, the private equity uh, job was just to make an investment and to sleep on the investment until you get and, and reap some return. Um, the, the real issue in this business is to create value over time during the investment period. And how do you do that? Uh, do you do that? You, we think that it's much easier when you control. Basically, you can set the agenda, but more than the strategic agenda, I think, in Africa, which makes a difference is the execution. Um, execution is key, difficult, so it, uh, it's not just uh, deciding at board level what sort of strategy you want. It's helping to get the best people, so recruitment, it's helping to develop new markets, which is basically uh, bringing our uh, companies, CEOs, and, and management to other countries where you can, they can expand. It's, and, and given that Adenia has a network of offices over the continent, we can help them to do that. So basically the idea of a, what I want to say is that today the private equity is about executing strategy and creating value uh, over time on a plan uh, and obviously the combination of, of sectorial expertise that usually you get when you recruit a CEO with the expertise of other markets that we can have in a PE firm uh, is a good combination. It's a winning formula in, in most uh, occasions. So, what is our strategy? Uh, it's uh, yeah, creating value through um, um, a very uh, strong hands-on uh, strategy, uh, working every day with our CEOs, with our managing partners in, in the different uh, companies where we invest. It's definitely not only to invest. And number two, obviously, um, Having the control, as it has been said, helps a lot when it is to exit your business. You sell a business, you don't sell shares. 
And selling business in Africa is much easier because obviously it needs to be uh, 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 a strong asset. But uh, you can always find a good buyer when it comes to sell a company. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about sectors um, and particularly what sectors you're seeing and I'm going to you know, point this to the, uh, to the GPs. What sectors are you finding more exciting and which ones you're particularly finding difficult in, at this point in the, in the investment cycle? So maybe perhaps Eric, you can start and then Laurent, maybe you can share your thoughts around that. So we, we touched on a currency a little bit earlier. I think that has actually played a, a big role in how we've uh, looked at sectors in the last three years uh, from the Nigerian perspective and the West African perspective. Um, in my markets, um, consumer spending power has decreased uh, a, a decent amount in a, in a sense. So it's changed our thinking in a way where we're focused on things that are necessities for people at first or things that uh, the government regulates that you have to have. Uh, so in investing, things we look at now are things like healthcare. You know, you need to have medicine, you need to have drugs. Um, so we recently invested in, a, in the largest um, pharmaceutical company, Genetics Drugs Maker in Nigeria, and that's been excellent, growing about 30% per year, despite uh, the rest of the economy. Uh, we're investing a lot in education uh, because we know for the African parents and West African parent education, no matter what you pay, your, 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 your tuition first. So that's something we're, we're putting a lot of investments towards. Um, and we're looking at things where the government regulates that you actually have to have it. Uh, so things like pensions and things like uh, um, insurance. Uh, so sort of sectors that, that tie into a necessity are, are things we're, we're, we're focused on in investing in a lot. Laurent. <coughs> oh, yeah. Yes, of course, in the, we have invested a lot in the financial sector before, but we see that the banking sector is becoming more complicated because of the capital requirements, which are decreasing the return on equity of this uh, uh, industry. But also, a lot of our tra transactions have been done around the distribution angle, being a bank is a distribution business, and also uh, food uh, or, 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 or kinds of, of distribution, because we're still seeing that in the, in the African environment, uh, distribution, logistics are key drivers, and, uh, and the fact to master the, the distribution is a, is a significant uh, uh, tool and significant assets which can be the value. We are moving now a little bit more towards healthcare, of course. Uh, we, are the, we own the largest uh, private sector healthcare business in uh, French-speaking West Africa, based in Abidjan, but also towards services, because we think that uh, B2B in Africa is going to grow a lot. Uh, companies are becoming bigger. They, are, they, they become to outsource uh, part of their businesses. They, they, they become to need more, more support in their growth. And so we have a strong belief in the, in the, in the, in the service industry and in the B2B industry for the, for the coming years. Um, Antoine, what sectors are you excited about at the moment? Uh, yeah, apologies if I don't reply exactly to the question. Yep. We are, Adenia is quite techno-agnostic. What okay. we are looking are situation where we really can have some pricing power. So we are looking for companies which have uh, a real uh, leadership position or who can have a leadership position who can, who can set the price on the market. Um, uh, one example is a paint uh, company that we bought in Mauritius where um, it has a 55% market share uh, with a very strong distribution network. And we think that uh, 
what we buy here is a very uh, strong downside protection. Um, and, and, and these defensive uh, characteristics, uh, you, you, on this one, you can really build something solid and, and develop the business. Uh, and, and you are not uh, too much linked to the currency risk. Uh, one example is another example that I can, I can give is uh, a, a billboard company we've bought in Ghana where we have something like 40% market share. We are the clear leader. When there has been a depreciation of the city by 40% uh, two, three years ago, we've been able to increase the price by 40%, basically telling our clients if you want to stay with the uh, largest network of billboards in the country, you need to pay the price. And, uh, and after a couple of weeks, we, uh, our turnover came back to the initial uh, level. So we think that more than the sector, it's very important to go back to the basic uh, strategic analysis and try to find what uh, are the, the, the strongest and then the, the best fundamental uh, uh, strategic levers you can play on. And, and I'd like to hear someone talk a bit about technology because we know that it's a key driver um, for growth um, in the market. Matthew, I don't know if you have some thoughts around whether you think you know, businesses are focused enough on technology. Are you seeing more interest in technology-driven businesses? Yeah, so our, pan our panel's about why Africa now. And yeah. I think one of the reasons why Africa now is the technology-driven growth uh, that we've seen. Um, Obviously, you know, it's uh, spurs from internet penetration and mobile phone growth, which is some of the highest numbers in the world. Um, probably the most successful subsector within our 150 portfolio companies that we've got across three funds has been in the payments business. Uh, and most of the payments exits we've seen are 3X plus, which is pretty unusual, we think. You know, realized, full, full realized exits. And, and if we look behind that, you know, that it's not just, just the, the, the direct technology enabled services, but technology in every, every business. So we're seeing it in healthcare now, we're seeing it in education with digital, uh, you know, uh, uh, distance education. Uh, and I think one of the most common questions of a CEO is how can I bring in technology into my business? So I think that's a very, it's another catalyst for growth that wasn't there five years ago. Okay, okay. Um, we haven't got much time left and I do want to leave some time for one or two questions. But I do want us to talk a bit about governance um, and particularly you know the governance of GPs and um, what lessons you think we can learn from sort of recent events um, and whether we're seeing increased focus um, on, on governance by investors in, in, in the market. Uh, Antoine, do you, want, do you want to start on, on, on governance yes. and what issues you're facing there? Yes, thank you. I think it's it's very important to have uh, the strongest governance when you talk to international investors who want to invest in Africa. Um, they are talking about, I think the last speech has been very clear, they are talking, uh, uh, everyone is talking about corruption, bad practice, etc. And we come and we tell them, we are proud of our governance. So usually they don't understand what's happening. And the truth is that we think in Africa, Maybe the DFIs have done uh, a good job, they have done a good education, but I think that governance has become 
really at the top of our agenda as a, a GP. Uh, and when we, we, we see that, uh, obviously uh, there is the very frustrated for us, the story of Abraj. And every, everyone's saying that, oh, come on, look at Africa, what, what's, what's happening? And we feel like it's an exception. I can tell you that the African, uh, the, the level of governance in African GPs is probably stronger than in many other parts of the world. And we should recognize that. And there has been an accident, a big accident, a very big accident, but don't take, we should not take the blame uh, on us and we should recognize and work on it. Obviously, there are lessons that we can learn from this accident. And, and uh, I think that many GPs who, uh, with whom we are uh, talking are doing the same exercise, looking at the process again, looking at the loopholes that we can uh, always, that can always exist in the system and policies. But basically, I think we are uh, at a very good standard. And Angela, do you, do you want to add anything on governance, particularly from a sort of US investor perspective, looking, looking into, into the African continent? Well, we, um, we look very closely at risk management, um, how the GPs construct their funds, um, what their processes are, um, what do they think around risk management? How do they... Um, give us the value that, they are, that we're expecting, who's, who's actually doing the work. Um, we look at it from that perspective. We also have on our end a, a challenging governance where we have to um, have compliance, um, have due diligence, and um, report those things to our board. So we're, we're making those questions on a quarterly basis to the GPs and on an annual basis as well. Good, so I'm going to pause there and um, open um, this session for questions to the panel. They're hungry. I think everyone is um, hungry. I'm certainly feeling hungry. So I will um, thank everyone for your patience and for staying with us and thank our panelists for your thoughts. Clearly my takeaways from uh, this session is why Africa, why now is because African GPs are actually no different from other GPs. It's all about value creation and it's all also about um, being able to look at the right sectors, diversify your risk and um, look into your governance as well and make sure that you're reporting on it. So thank you very much everybody for your time and I'd um, like to ask you to give a round of applause to our panelists. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit abca-africa.org.